Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Professor James Miller will join us to discuss Singularity Rising. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science Show. Well, in Ray Kurzweil's New York Times bestseller, The Singularity is Near, the futurist and entrepreneur describes the singularity, a likely future utterly different than anything we can imagine. Singularity is triggered by the tremendous growth of human and computing intelligence that is almost inevitable outcome of Moore's Law. But how does this affect the average person? How will the singularity affect our daily lives, our jobs, our families, and our wealth? Well, joining us today to discuss this issue is Professor James D. Miller. Professor Miller is an associate professor of economics at Smith College and was a speaker at the 2008 Singularity Summit. He has written the new book entitled Singularity Rising, Surviving and Thriving in a Smarter, Richer, and More Dangerous World. And Professor Miller, we're very pleased to have you today on the Grok Science Show. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, Certainly a fascinating book that you've written, Singularity Rising, in which you talk about the economic implications of this theory of the singularity. But maybe first for those individuals who really aren't that familiar with the singularity, what actually is it? Sure. Well, our entire civilization from human brains, I mean, we're a bit smarter than chimps, and we've used that intelligence to get everything we have. Well, the singularity asks you to envision what would happen if we create people or machines that are smarter than we are today. What might they give us? What might they take from us? So what are some of the roots of where this singularity is going to come from, and presumably this increase in uh, computing power? Yeah, every year the amount of computing power you can buy per dollar about doubles. Now, right now, even the best computers, they're not as fast as the human brain, but it's likely certainly within the century that you know, even a personal computer that you could get will be smarter than you are. And we're also working on creating software that would give um, artificial intelligence agents would, that would make them smarter than people. And what would happen if, for example, your employer could replace you with a computer program that costs $100? I think it's already happening in some fields, right? Yeah, yeah, it is in some fields, but what if it happens in everything? But uh, individuals have to create this software, so certainly it's dependent uh, a little bit on humans that are programming these computers, right? Uh, yeah, no, that's certainly true, and I think there's a lot of a lot of people will be making quite a bit of money creating the first generation of artificial intelligences. So, I mean, to some extent, we already use computer programming to help make better computer programs. But yeah, eventually, once you have computers that are substantially smarter than people, they'll just completely leave us out of the loop in making the next generation of intelligences. So what's really the, the timeline for the singularity? I mean, we've heard various figures. I mean, Kurzweil said something around uh, 2040 or something. Yeah, Kurzweil um, pegs 2045 mm-hmm. is the date. Um, myself, I'm not sure. I mean, it could happen as soon as the next decade, or it might take 
a, a century. It, it also partially depends on how we, we get a singularity. One possible path, I think, is through uh, genetics, where we figure out the genetic basis of intelligence and we, you know, make each generation a lot smarter than the one before. That, you know, that would take quite a while to occur. Another path is someone, maybe today Google figures out how to create a really intelligent computer, and that computer quickly designs better and better software. So maybe in, in that scenario, we get a singularity in the next five years. Really is dependent on where the technology goes. Yeah. Yeah. So given these different uh, possible routes to the singularity, and what then do you think are the economic impacts of singularity rising? Sure. Well, there's a whole bunch of them. A, a big one that we touched on before is that if we have machines that are a lot smarter than people, then it would be very hard for most people to earn very much wealth through their labor. Now, fortunately, a, a singularity would likely make us very rich, so the value of our stock portfolio could go up a thousand times, but still we wouldn't be able to earn very much in the marketplace. Uh, another scenario, though, is that we create computers that really don't have much use for us. These computers are as above us as we are from chimpanzees, and just as we're quite willing to take you know, the land chimpanzees live, live on and leave them for dead, they'll do the same for us. And then another scenario, this is one Ray Kurzweil writes about, where we actually merge with artificial intelligences. So every year we get better um, brain implants and we become smarter and smarter and more productive and we all become extraordinarily rich and healthy and we live in basically a utopia. So there's a lot of different scenarios and things could go horribly wrong or go extraordinarily well for us. It all comes down to how we end up managing these intelligence-enhancing technologies. Uh, so a lot of fields would really just sort of be dependent on who has the best technology implants, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. And that's why I think competition is likely to push us to a singularity, even if most people don't want it to happen. Because you can imagine if, you know, the U.S. military decides not to worry about intelligence enhancements, but the Chinese do, well, then the Chinese will become the dominant military power. And the same with companies. If one group of hedge funds decides to have their analysts use the latest technologies and have brain implants in them while other hedge funds don't, then the ones that have the smartest employees will be the ones that dominate the marketplace. So because intelligence is so important to winning economic or military competitions, we're impersonal market forces are going to be pushing us to make ourselves and our machines a lot smarter than they are now. So do you still envision a place for patients such as manufacturing? I think designing of products, there'll, there'll be a role for humans for a while. But no, I think the actual physical making of the good, we're likely to continue on our trend where people are doing less and less of it. I mean, even now you see company, we're starting to see the rise of three-dimensional printing, where just as today you, you can you know go to the Internet and download a song, I imagine in a few years you'll be able to download a razor blade, and eventually you might even be able to download whole automobiles. So we're going to get manufacturing is going to become a form of software. Well, how will this work in terms of evening out inequalities in the world? Well, I think over the long run, this is likely to increase equality. If you, you look at the cell phone, initially only very rich people have cell phones, but once the technology to develop informational goods like cell phones, once you've created it, making additional copies actually is pretty cheap. And so my, my guess is initially it'll just be very rich people who get the best technologies. That'll end up filtering down. So today the computer on my desk is better than any computer Bill Gates had 10 years ago. And I think we're likely to see the same, at least if everything goes pretty well, with, with sort of Kurzweilian um, intelligence enhancement technologies. So what are the steps that are taking place now that perhaps we can prepare ourselves for the singularity? Well, 
the best way to prepare, I would say, is to make sure that if we do create super intelligent machines, that they're friendly towards us. I mean, we're, you know, right now, mankind, we're by far the smartest species on the planet, and we are, you know, we're not very nice to other creatures. So what we should be doing is devoting a lot of resources to figure out what would it mean for a computer to be friendly to us. The computer, it will have software that tells us how to behave, but what would it mean to instill friendliness in software? And is this even possible? Let's hope that it is. So I know there's one organization called the Singularity Institute for Artificial Intelligence, and they are trying to get people who are really, really good at math to come up with some general principles for what it would mean to create a friendly artificial intelligence. And let's hope we can figure out friendliness before we have these you know, super beings, basically, that can do whatever they want to us. Something like instilling the three laws of robotics kind of thing. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly that, except doing it with you know, very precise mathematics. This is really the forefront of technology. Do you think those who are developing this technology really are aware of these, I think, moralistic kind of issues in terms of designing the technology? I, I think they are at least aware of them. I don't know how seriously they take them. I mean, Ray Kurzweil is a very big player in the technology market, and I know he's um, friends with Bill Gates, who has endorsed Kurzweil's book. At the Singularity Institute, they, do, they have conferences, and they have a lot of serious high-tech people involved in it. So I think most of the, the major names in the technology field are aware of the danger, and I don't know how much resources they're putting into trying to create friendly artificial intelligence, but at least they're not completely unaware of the problem. So do you think the, the future of the singularity makes humans obsolete, or what do you think our place will be economically, societally, all aspects of life? Well, there is a good chance that we will be obsolete, at least as economic agents, that there'll be computers that can do things better than we ever could. Now, in some ways, this could be great, because we could have a, we could have these robots that are creating lots and lots of wealth, and we get to consume it. We could still have meaningful, meaningful lives. We could raise children. We could create art. We could build things if we want to for fun. Another scenario, though, is that we have the Kurzweilian scenario where we merge with computers, and we become extraordinarily smart, and we're able to do a lot of things now that we couldn't before. So it's really, I think there's, there's a lot of uncertainty as to how we'll reach the singularity. And really up to us to guide our path in a way. Probably, yeah, although we, we don't really know what, there could be sort of technologies that we're unaware of. It could be that it's extremely easy, for example, to merge the human brain with computers. And we just don't quite know how to do that yet, but in a decade we'll see, oh yeah, this is easy and that'll, that'll be the path. Or it might be right now there's some Chinese organizations that are trying, they're looking at the DNA of some really smart people and they're trying to figure out what causes you to be a genius, it might be that they'll crack that, and in 10 years they'll start being a lot of babies born in China that are smarter than Einstein ever was, and that'll be a path that leads us to a singularity. Or there are pharmaceutical companies, in part to fight Alzheimer's disease, that are creating drugs to make us a lot smarter, and maybe we'll, we'll get these drugs fairly quickly, and these will lead us to you know, tremendous intelligence enhancements. Do you think that the uh, singularity is an inevitable outcome, or do you think there are things that might prevent the singularity from occurring? I think it's inevitable unless our um, high-tech society collapses. And certainly a war or a devastating plague you know, send us back to the Stone Age. That could postpone or, or terminate the singularity. But otherwise, yeah, I think it's almost certain that we would reach it. And that's just because the, the potential for computers computers have the potential of being so much faster than our brain. I mean, the human brain basically is a computer, but it's run on meat, and we know that computers have the potential to process information far faster than our brains do. We also know that people like Albert Einstein, 
you know, they were real. And so it should be possible to tinker with genetics so that everyone is at the level of Einstein or maybe even much above him. So it, it should, I think it's almost certain that if we knew how, we could create people or machines much smarter than we have today. And they would almost certainly give us something fantastic, at least if we survive the experience. So what do you think are some benchmarks in terms of the singularity being close at hand? A key benchmark is what are computers able to do better than people. So, for example, we, we, we passed the, the chess benchmark where we know that uh, the best chess players in the world are computers. We, we can see even with other games, there's a, a Japanese sort of a, like a Japanese version of chess called Go, and right now people are better at computers than that, but I think relatively soon we'll have computers beating people at that too. Other types of, of benchmarks, I would say, in terms of genetics, are, are we having most, say, parents in rich countries using fertility techniques to create really, really smart children? Do we have a situation where it's impossible to be one of the best students in, your, in elite high schools unless you're taking intelligence-enhancing drugs? So, again, part of it is to, is to look, I think, at what people can do with these technologies, but also what are, in what areas are computers better than what we are, what we have now. But the best benchmark is probably just to look at overall economic growth rates, that if we have really good artificial intelligence, that should allow us to be able to create a lot more wealth, to be able to do a lot more things better than we can today. And that should show up in, for example, a very, uh, a very high stock prices. So a future rapid economic growth would be the best sign that we're approaching a singularity. The, the main issue is that the kind of singularity we're going to get will determine our future. It'll determine whether our grandchildren you know, get, die quickly or get to live you know, forever in utopia almost. And so right now we're likely to set the stage for basically how, how the future is going to unfold for our species. And this, is, this should be the most important issue. And almost no one cares at all about this. So we should be putting a lot of time, effort, and money into trying to develop you know, friendly artificial intelligence or trying to figure out good ways of increasing our own intelligence. And this should be the dominant political issue. Fascinating book, uh, Singularity Rising. I'm, I'm curious if you just have some final words regarding singularity and surviving and thriving in a smarter, richer, and more dangerous world. You should expect the difference to be, the future to be a lot different than the present, that we're experiencing exponential increases in information technology. And once we get computers that are even a little bit smarter than people, you're going to see a, a lot of changes in society. So expect the world 50 years from now to be really, really different than it is today. And the best news is that if the singularity works out, we're, we don't have to die. We'll probably be able to cure a disease. Well, uh, a future of, of utopia, hopefully. Yes. Uh, the new book is, again, called Singularity Rising, Surviving and Thriving in a Smarter, Richer, and More Dangerous World. And the author is Professor James D. Miller. And Professor Miller, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Well, thank you. I enjoyed being on your show. And you were just listening to Professor James Miller discussing the singularity rising. This is the Grok's Science Show. Coming up in just a few minutes is the Grokatron 5000, so stay tuned. One is the loneliest number that you'll ever do. Two can be as bad as one. It's the loneliest number since the number one. Uh,
5000. It is our supercomputer, formerly known as Deep Blue, and today the Grokatron 5000 has chosen the topic, Human or Automaton? So, for the following five individuals, the Grokatron 5000 would like to know if you uh, think they are, in fact, human or are a computer simulation of, of a human, and uh, a little reason why. Dr. Miller, you ready to play the game? Okay. Here we go. Human or uh, computer simulation, uh, David Hasselhoff. Uh, human. Uh, I've seen him in television shows long before computers were um, good enough to okay. <laughs> to create to simulate people. All right, number two, Donald Trump. Uh, Donald Trump. Let's see. I would say, yeah, he would be a, an automaton. That he's made so much money, and it's kind of hard to understand why he was so successful. That the best explanation is that there's some computer program that's doing a really good job making investments, but isn't doesn't quite have the public relations idea down yet. <laughs> All right, number three, uh, physicist Stephen Hawking's. Uh, well, he's partially merged with machines right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'd go, I'd go 50-50 with that. All right. He's, he's halfway to the singularity there. Yeah. Uh, number four, Lady Gaga. Uh, I confess I know, I've heard the name, but I know almost nothing about her, so I, I can't judge. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, moving on to finally number five, uh, the former governor, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, I think he's someone, I think California would have been better off had he been a computer. Unfortunately, <laughs> he was a real flawed person. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Dr. Miller, I want to thank you very much for uh, sticking around playing our game. And again, talking about your books, Singularity Rising, Surviving and Thriving in a Smarter, Richer, and More Dangerous World. Thank you so much for your time. Okay. Well, thank you very much. All right, you've been listening to the Grox Science Show. We'd like to thank our guest, Professor James Miller, discussing his book, Singularity Rising. Well, coming up next week, Forrest Golden and Joanna Rowell will have a great interview with Phil Platt. That's right, Dr. Phil Platt from BadAstronomy.com. So tune in next week for that. If you have any comments about this episode, past episodes, or upcoming episodes, you can contact us. We're on the web, and of course, we're on Facebook and Twitter. 
And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.